You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. I do hope you all are enjoying your Saturday. Today, I want to talk about the uh, trivia of the day very briefly. Um, it's a very quick, short answer. And then get back to some of the questions, because I asked questions a long time ago. And then a lot of stuff happened, and I got caught up in a lot of other things and uh, skipped over a bunch. And I had some people reach out and like, um, did you ever answer any of the questions? Yes, like two. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, let's get it rocking here. Uh, Packers trivia of the day. Name the Packers tight end with the most career receiving yards. Now, um, the funny thing is every time I ask these questions, I need to rephrase it like six, seven, eight times because how you ask the question changes a lot of things. And even after I changed it and tweaked it and tried to make it sound correct, it's still not fully understandable. First of all, the Packers tight end. What is a Packers tight end? Is it somebody who played their whole career in Green Bay? Is it somebody who spent five seconds in Green Bay? Is it someone who was mostly in Green Bay? Because uh, Jimmy Graham would be a great answer because he had a billion yards, but he did all that with New Orleans. So that wouldn't be, you know, an interesting Packers trivia question. Who is the most prolific tight end to ever wear a Packers uniform, although they sucked in Green Bay? That's not interesting. So rephrasing the question, who, which tight end had the most receiving yards in a Packers uniform? Meaning adding up all the yards you got while you were a Packer. So because my question wasn't phrased properly, there were probably several correct answers. But there's only one correct answer. Well, th- here's the other complication. If you go back far enough, you've got people in positions that are kind of uh, nebulous. Although at the time it was probably distinct. But to me now, I have no idea what what those, you know, positions were. And then some people were kind of hybrids, you know, they were left flanker slash tight end slash fullback, which back then was halfback, which actually makes more sense because the guy that we call fullback now is actually halfway back. And the guy that's a halfback is actually fullback. You know what I mean? The fullback is in between the quarterback and the, the halfback, which or the fullback, which would make him the halfback. Anyways, I don't know why we switched it to make it dumber, but we also got Max McGee, who was a left end. And I'm like, I don't think he played defense. Um, potentially the correct answer, if you mean sometimes played tight end, would be Carol Dale. Um, I believe he was mostly a wide receiver. He played left end, quote unquote, and then was a flanker, which I think is the same thing. I have no idea. Maybe an end was a tight end. I don't know. I have no idea what these positions are. But I know starting in 1969, presumably when the vernacular changed, he was a wide receiver. And so once wide receiver became a term, he was a wide receiver. So I'm calling Carroll Dale a wide receiver. But if you look at his position, it was wide receiver slash tight end slash flanker. And since most of his yards probably came as a wide receiver, not as a tight end, 
you know what I mean? It, it, this is where these things get tricky because there's so much gray area. However, it's worth mentioning that Carol Dale um, would be the correct answer depending on how you uh, answer it. And so he's worth mentioning. He had 8,277 total yards. 5,422 of those were with the Green Bay Packers. He's 11th all-time in receiving yards of just any position. Um, He's one spot behind Randall Cobb, so um, definitely a guy worth knowing. But I didn't make him the right answer because, again, I don't know. I'm calling him a wide receiver primarily. And then again, I don't know what what an end is. If an end is a tight end, then, you know, I don't know. But Billy Houghton would be the right answer. But he was a end slash flanker, and I think a flanker is a wide receiver. So again, it's kind of a kind of a iffy, weird thing. But again, another guy worth knowing. Um, 8,459 career yards. Uh, seven of his, uh, what do we got here, 12 y- years? We're with the Green Bay Packers, 5,581 yards. He is 13th all-time for Green Bay Packers. But the number one correct answer based on what I meant to ask is, as many people got correct, Mr. Paul Kaufman. He had 4,340 yards, 4,223 of those yards as Green Bay Packers, although that was um, 4,334 is the correct answer because that's including postseason. But he played from 78 to 88. Um, From 78 to 85, he was a Green Bay Packers tight end. He was a three-year-in-a-row Pro Bowler, 82, 83, and 84. It's crazy to think that anything that would be our best ever would be in the 80s, but potentially the best ever tight end the Packers have ever had was in the 1980s. Although, you know, as I've said before, that doesn't super surprise me just because, to my knowledge, we haven't had a ton of great tight ends. Maybe back in the 60s sometime, but certainly not in my lifetime. Maybe Mark Chimura was our best. I don't know. But as a Green Bay Packer, uh, let's look at this, because that just keeps giving me the regular season stuff. What do we got here? 121 games, 331 receptions, 4,334 yards, 13.1 yards per reception, and 39 touchdowns. His son actually played a tight end in the NFL, Chase Kaufman. He was born like two weeks before I was. But uh, 20, let's see, was he drafted? Yeah, third round, 98th overall in the 2009 NFL Draft. Uh, Played for the Bengals in 2010, Atlanta 2012-13, Tennessee 2014, uh, Tennessee Seattle 2015, and then Indy in 2016. So there you go. That's all I got for you. All righty. I want to start off with this because I forgot. I know I need to go back and do all the other questions, but Bruce hit me up on Twitter. Um, He says, you mentioned second quarter in the uh, Cobb three-touchdown game. Curious if you've done SIS data on Packers second quarter efficiency. It seems like a trend under Rodgers that has some substance to it. We always seem to start slow, especially in 2020, I recall. So um, SIS is very player-specific, not so much team-specific, but I have done a little bit of homework on this. And so because I don't really remember it, and most people probably don't remember it, I want to look at it one more time. Maybe we can dabble with SIS a little bit just to see how much players are good, bad, Rodgers, etc. But as far as the team is concerned, and this kind of seems to be a bit of a new phenomenon, um, because if you look at score margin, which is how badly you're beaten up on the team in front of you, the Packers in 2019 had a first quarter margin of 49 points. That's over the course of presumably 16 games. So we had a a three-point lead on average by the end of the first quarter. In 2020, we had a two-point 
first quarter margin. And then in 2021, we had a negative 26, meaning on average, we're losing by the end of the first quarter. If you look at the second quarter um, in 2019, again, this was a completely different thing in 2019, 49 points in our favor, negative 39 in 2019. In other words, for some reason, we got the crap kicked out of us in 2019 in the second quarter. That was our worst quarter. Then in 2020, 132 points on average were beating teams in the second quarter. This is not cumulative first and second quarter. This is just in the second quarter. That's an average of 8.25 points more than the other team scored. And then in 2021, it wasn't quite that impressive, but it's still 51 points in the second quarter. That's compared to the negative 26 in quarter one. So we were horrible in the first quarter and then, you know, kind of stomped some people out four points or whatever it was, three, four points in the second quarter. And then third quarter kind of became, so if if you're a betting man, you would bet on us being really good in the fourth quarter this coming year, which traditionally has not been very good for the Packers, which makes sense because this has always been the way the Packers operate. We start letting teams back in and we start having heart attacks. But in uh, 2019, quarter one was our best quarter, 49 points. 2020, quarter two was our best quarter. 2021, quarter three was our best. Um, Second quarter, 51 points. Third quarter, 60 points in 2021. So yeah, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter. What's next? We're just going to rock it in the fourth quarter, man. Although that is slightly unlikely because we've always been horrible, as I said. Um, Our best was in 2019 where we had an 11-point advantage. The last two years, we've been negative in terms of score margin. In other words, we lose in the fourth quarter. That's just what happens. Now, you you could look at that and go, yeah, but that's because you're such a good team and it's garbage points and all that, whatever. I'm just saying. Hasn't been great. But yeah, the, the last two years, anyways, the trend has been really not great in the first quarter. Pick it up in the second and third and then just completely take your foot off the gas in quarter four. So the whole all gas, no break thing, not true. Slow starters, crank it up in the middle of the game and then just fall asleep. I'm all for all gas, no break. We've just never really seen it, which is unfortunate. But that's, I mean, that's really the reason why, you know, when you look at uh, metrics like, um, well, you look at margins. By the end of the year, how badly are you beating teams? You beating them by three on average? You beating them by seven? You beating them by 10? The teams that are up at the top are the teams that don't ever take their boot off the throat of teams. That's where you get Kansas City Chiefs and teams like that that end up real high because they pummel you in the first quarter and then they really pummel you in the second then they smash you in the third and then they just in the fourth quarter they just run up the score the Packers just don't do that I don't know why I don't know exactly what it is I know there's the whole thing about being conservative in the fourth quarter and to some degree I get that but that doesn't really explain the slow start and I also think a little bit of the fourth quarter isn't just conservative play calling it's conservative playing a little bit just don't play as well so that, that, that to me is sort of the moral of the story. It's fluctuated from year to year. Uh, the last two years, again, the, the middle portions are the best. Second quarter is awesome. Last year was a little bit more evenly distributed between second and third. But first and fourth quarter, we had negative margins, meaning we lost in the first quarter, we lost in the fourth quarter. And that just kind of sucks. And that is the area where in 2021, I'm looking at it saying we're not really as good as we were in 2020. I don't know if we're as good as we were in 2019. This just isn't isn't as good of a team as much as we tried to convince ourselves it, it's as good or better. It just never really was. This is a big part of it. You can't come out and just get beat up in the first quarter. 
You can't be like, we're, we're the powerhouse. We're this dominant team. We're so good. You come out with your MVP quarterback, your Hall of Fame wide receiver, your, your solid offensive line, your great running back duo, your elite pass rushers, Kenny Clark at, at nose tackle, your top five, top three linebacker, your great cornerback group, and your two solid safeties, and just get pummeled in the first quarter. You can't do that. Go out and just be better than that. How do you come out with slow starts? But that's that's a whole cultural thing with the Packers in general, right? They they come out of the they they enter the season slow and they get beat up in the first game because they're just, you know, whatever. And again, I hate to go back to it, but this is where Matt LaFleur's frustration comes in with we gotta have energy. We gotta be excited. We gotta show up when the doors are open. We gotta really hammer this thing. We gotta take this seriously. But they're just not good at that. They start the season slow, they start games slow, they lose coming out of bye week. They they lose in the postseason when they need to really ramp it up. They just they just don't seem to have that, you know, jump out of bed and attack life kind of mentality. They're very slow risers. They're like those people that like to get up and they, you know, just, oh, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee. And, uh, um, and then it takes like a two-hour process to slowly rev this machine up. You know, they're they're not the guy that like jumps up, jumps in the shower throws their clothes on as they go grab an energy drink and shoots out the door and gets to work. You know, grab some cold pizza out of the fridge and eat it on the way in as breakfast. Like, oh, I need two hours to get ready. I'm just, I'm not ready. I need, I need coffee and I need it made just so and I need peace and I need quiet and just don't leave me alone and then, 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 That's the Packers. They show up to a game and it's like, mm, I'm not really ready yet. I'm not really da, da, da. Then they get punched in the mouth over and over again. Like, whoa, what's your problem, dude? Like, let's ease into this thing. Let's slow down. You guys are coming out with all this energy. What's going on here? Take it easy, dude. And then they wake up, and then they get angry, and then they just smash the living daylights out of teams in the second and third quarter, get up a big lead, and then, then, they, then they coast. It's like, all right, man, we did it. Let's chill. It's like, chill, you literally just started. Like, play one more quarter. Come on, come on, come on. Give me one more quarter. Give me three quarters in a game, please. I love this team, and I love the talent, but the biggest issue we've had over the years, let's be completely honest about this, is the talent on paper doesn't match the production on the field. They're not as good as they should be. That was the case in 2019. That was the case in 2020. That was the case in 2021. I know 13 wins. I get all that. But I'm pointing to the specifics. They do enough to win. But every game is also a heart attack, isn't it? They do just enough to win, right? I mean, I graduated high school just like the guy with the, you know, that was the valedictorian graduated high school. But I didn't turn in homework, and when I did, it was last minute, and I never studied, and did it, you know what I mean? It was just, it was a struggle just to, just to get me to participate even a little bit in school. But I graduated, and I went to college like everybody else did. So anyways, long story short, just a, just a little consistent effort would be great. You know what I mean? Like, first quarter, second quarter, you, you can have a favorite quarter. That's fine. I don't, I don't mind if, you, if you're like, hey, can we, can we do like 110% in the third quarter? That's fine. Yeah. And then then do like 90 in the fourth. Like, yeah, that's okay. Sure. As long as you as long as you got the win and all, I guess. I don't know. Let's just not. Let's just not. Let's can we just stop? And I know I shouldn't complain. We get 13 wins. All that. Like, I, I understand. But this whole heart attack pack thing or cardiac pack or whatever you want to call it. <sighs> again, I, I, I don't want to complain about wins. But I wouldn't mind being able to see at least one of my kids getting married. You know what I mean? I'd like to experience one day when all the kids are out of the house. Not that I want them out of the house. I just want to know what it feels like. 
It's probably, you know, it's probably sad, but maybe it's awesome. I don't know. I don't know. But I just want to, I just want to find out. You know what I mean? Maybe pushing it here. Maybe. But at some point late in life, maybe, you know, there's, there's like a grandkid or something. I don't know. But the point is, if they don't stop messing around, then, (laughs) then every single time it's going to be week one, we're all jacked up. Here we go, Packers. We've been telling everybody Packers are going to dominate the North. They're going to And then if we get smoked by the Vikings, because they're like, it's week one. I don't know. I don't know, man. I haven't even really started thinking about football yet. Do you know how much crap we're going to have to take, dude? Like, I listen, I know we're going to come back and we're going to win the North. Like, I get it, but it still sucks, and I don't want to deal with it. And then week two, like, you're probably going to win week two. It's the Bears. But, dude, if you guys come out slow in the first quarter, having just lost to the Vikings, and the Bears and Justin Fields drive down the field and even get three points on this defense that we've been telling everyone's going to be the best defense in football, I'm going to lose my mind. And I'm going to be the guy that I'm sitting on this podcast every day saying, don't be this fan. I'm going to be that fan. You know, it's going to be four minutes in and we're down three and I'm going to be sitting there saying, don't go on Twitter. Don't go on Twitter because I'm sitting at home going, this team sucks, dude. This team, I don't know what happened. I'm not sure where we went wrong, but we are terrible. And we were 0-1. We're going to be 0-2 to the Bears. We're going to be last in our own garbage division. What is happening right now? All because of slow starts. Week one is slow. First quarter is slow, and then we'll pick it back up in the second quarter, third quarter. We'll blow through it. We'll get the win. But then you know what we're going to have to deal with? We're going to have to deal with everybody saying, yeah, barely. Yeah, look what Justin Fields did. Yeah, look how close it was. And we're going to deal with that all year long, right? Something's just not quite right with the Packers. They're just not quite dominant. And it's annoying because we're going to win, and then we're going to win, and then we're going to win, and then we're going to win. We're going to even win some games that we shouldn't win, like Tampa next week. Everyone's going to go, Packers are going to get smashed because Tampa's going to come out and just smoke people for two weeks. And the Packers are going to be like, you know, we're one and one and kind of beat the Bears. And you know what? We're, we're, I'm not saying we're going to beat the, the, uh, the Bucks, but it's one of those things that wouldn't surprise me if we did. But then we still don't get credit for it because it's like, yeah, but there's still something weird about the Packers. I don't know, like kudos for beating the Bucks, but let's be honest, the Bucks are better. And then I'm going to be mad about that. Like, we, but we beat them. How do you say they're better and we beat? <sighs> so that's, that's where my mind goes when I see like simple stats. <laughs> and that's why I have a podcast. Because I like to expand upon things. So now what do we talk about? Because I got I to gotta get off that. Although, now I'm tempted to just rip through the schedule because I'm having fun with this. Because I'm envisioning, like, football, which I like, you know? So, that's fun. And I hate to do this because I said I was going to get to questions and I really don't want to rip through an entire episode and not even touch questions. However, I'm going to forget. Started this podcast yesterday and then just I had to go to the grocery store because I was going to a cookout and I'm like, I got to go get groceries. So I got there at six o'clock in the morning to go get the groceries and then had to like get started on doing some of the stuff. And then we had to go to the kids sports and my kid was uh, like a white Barry Sanders. I'm going to start calling him Larry Sanders. And then my daughter was doing soccer and she ended up getting a gold medal and that was awesome. So the kids did great. And then we came home and then I had to start preparing the meat. And so then we had to go and then we didn't get back until like 1030 at night. Anyways, so now we're back. Barbecue is a resounding success. Um, I brought a pork butt. It was 
easily a bottom five pork butt I've ever made, but fortunately, um, not a ton of people have had, you know, actual pork butt, so they really enjoyed it. So that was that was that was a close call. <laughs> I tried it and it was like, oh no, it was fine. It just, you know, I was really, I wanted it to be up here, but it was not. Anyways, that's not what we're talking about. I was listening to a thing unrelated to football, but they brought up a point that I thought that, you know, because that's how my brain works, I start seeing parallels. Of course, my mind just goes to football with it. But they were talking about the difference between critical and cynical. And it really just clicked that that's the, that's the differentiation that makes sense to me. Since we kind of already talked about, you know, critical fans and whatnot. It's just a suggestion for the quote-unquote negative fan. Critical is a good thing. Cynical is never a good thing. Critical is, you know, I've been burned once before, so I'm going to be cautious. It's, I've seen draft picks that everybody's been excited about, that everybody said was going to be a great flop. I've seen first-round picks that are terrible, you know, Dayton and a bunch of other guys. I've seen second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks. I've seen undrafted. I've seen all these things not go well. I've had my high expectations before, and I've seen us lose before. And so I know to be critical. It's kind of just a way of being cautious and not just blindly charging ahead. And again, if you want to, that's fine. But I'm just saying there's nothing wrong with being critical. It's not really 100% necessary in football because you're not really participating in it. You're just observing it. So you can really do whatever you want. In life, you should probably be critical. It's kind of important. What you should never be under any circumstance in life as a football fan or anything else, is to be cynical. Because it doesn't do any good to anybody, including you. Cynical is, I've been burned before, and so I will never trust you again. Furthermore, I will never trust anyone like you. At its core, being cynical is like the worst kind of thing always, right? I've been burned by men slash women before, so I will never trust another man slash woman. This guy was a jerk, so all guys are jerks. This race did something wrong to me. Now I don't like anybody in this race, right? I mean, it gets kind of deep out in the real world, but I'm saying you can see how bad it gets. Don't do that in football either. The Packers have been knocked out of the playoffs before. Therefore, I will never trust them to win a playoff game or whatever, you know, which most Packer fans get that way and everybody else gets that way. That's being cynical. It's not critical. Unless you can tell me what that that thing is that's causing them to lose that, that they can't change which nobody's been able to identify. If you think you figured it out and you're not just being cynical and trying to find a thing so that you can excuse your cynicism, then fine. But I don't think there is a thing. I think every year is a new year, and I think they have everything you need to win a playoff game in a Super Bowl. So critical is, I'm not going to just assume because they're awesome they're going to win, which is smart. Cynical is, no chance they win. Cynical is, we draft a guy and you immediately go, bust, garbage pick, Cynical is hating everything about the team because at one point something went wrong once. Thinking Christian Watson's going to be a bad pick because like three years ago we drafted three mid-round wide receivers and none of them really super panned out except one guy was kind of good. But that means Brian Gutekunst doesn't know how to draft wide receivers, which means, you know, he'll never just draft a wide. It'll never happen. That's cynical. It's not intelligent. It's not critical. It's just bitterness. It's, I've been hurt and I never want to be hurt again. Anyways, we don't need to dive too much into it. Again, I want to get to the questions, but I just thought that was a good, a good way to put it. Critical, not cynical. That's the goal. 
by the way, none of those are dictionary definitions. They're kind of just general definitions. So you don't, please don't fact check me on that. I'm just going to call you stupid if you try to do that. Taking things way too seriously. Why don't we go ahead and take a little break? Um, we've got the two um, GoFundMes that I'm, I'm uh, still hoping you guys can help support. Um, thank you to Matt Comstock. That was five days ago, but I don't remember saying thank you. That was a $100 donation. Monica Montgomery, $50 donation yesterday, and then an anonymous donation of $25. Within the last 24 hours, we are up to $5,865 of the $7,400 goal. We've also got the uh, GoFundMe, or it's, it's not a GoFundMe, it's uh, everlove.com, but um, raising money for Niebel's family, Niebel's who passed away. Uh, fortunately, the uh, it's going amazingly. We are up to $7,650 already. Obviously, it's a lot more than just us that are donating to this, um, but really awesome to see we're halfway to $15,000 already. So again, if you got anything at all, a buck or two, um, it'll make a difference. You know, with a family going through what they're going through right now, they shouldn't have additional financial strains. You know what I mean? And so if we can at least alleviate that, not that this is going to set them up for life, but just take away any additional expenses that they might have, um, they shouldn't have to deal with that. Also, I hate to add a third thing, but I we got to get started because we're already behind the eight ball. Last year, we raised money for Palmer Home. That was a long running thing. Many of you know all about it already. But uh, I'm going to do it again this year. Yes, there is a prize for the top five. No, I have no expectation of winning that because I saw what happened last year where people were just like, here's five grand at the last second to get in. If I do, I do. If I don't, I don't. Whatever. But um, I told them that I would be happy to do it again, and we're going to do it again. But uh, Palmer Home are basically homes for kids that need new homes or just generally don't have great home environments. And that seems like a worthy thing to support, so... Um, I will, I don't know where to put a link for that. I don't want to put it in front of anything. I don't know. I'll figure that out. If you want the link, I'll send it to you. I think maybe for now I'll make a post about it on Facebook and Twitter and then just not pin it anywhere. And maybe I'll just remind you some other time. I don't know. But anyways, why don't we take a break and we'll be right back. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news. So don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's us days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay. 
Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. First question is from Matthew K on Patreon. He says, which other teams are you looking forward to see play regarding new draft picks and trades, etc.? That is one of the things that I keep forgetting. You know, you get so hyper-focused on the Packers, and then you listen to the news and just completely forget not only about the draft picks, but, you know, like the Broncos have um, Russell now. It's like, oh, that's right. The freaking Broncos, dude. Like, are they, are they going to, you know, I mean, I, I, you see it and you know it and you're like, oh, that's crazy. And then you move on with your life. And I, I haven't revisited it and be like, what, what's the situation? Like, he's got a better offensive line probably than he's ever had. Not that they have the best offensive line in the world, but anything is better than what Seattle had. He's got better receivers than, well, eh, that's, that's taking it maybe too far. But he, he's got a good group. I, I don't want to participate in what the media does and pretending that guys who've never proven that they're elite are elite, but potentially could be very, very good. But the point is, like, I, I, even now as I'm trying to describe what they're like, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Is that guy even there anymore? I know Vaughn's obviously not there. He hasn't been there in a while, but I don't know. So that is a very, very good question. I think as far as draft picks go, there's always, um, it, it always kind of comes back mostly to the Packers, right? Or at the very least, theories that I had about the Pack guys that I liked that I kind of hoped the Packers would take. I want to see how they turn out. Um, Trayvon Walker is going to be interesting to watch because just because there's been so much debate. And so the guys that I liked, I want to see if they're going to be good. Um, I also love watching the draft because it's very easy to just watch these guys that the Packers should have taken because obviously they're going to be elite and they didn't. So the Packers are stupid. And so it's easy to find them and be like, oh, look, they're not elite. Imagine that. So maybe just calm down a little bit. But um, I mean, Garrett Wilson's interesting, but I don't know that he was ever really in striking distance. Plus, it's the Jets. Um, maybe the Jets could kind of take it somewhere. Obviously, that all depends on the quarterback taking a step. But um, Drake London, too, with the Falcons. The Falcons are just kind of so bad. I don't super care. Obviously, Jamison Williams in Detroit is going to be a big deal. Jamison Williams is a big deal for me for a lot of reasons, because I just need to see it. Because again, I'm, I'm, I'm taking it to that cynical place with these guys where it's like every year, every year, the speedsters get all the love and every year they disappoint. I've just, I've never seen one of these guys that runs in like the four twos end up being these dominant players. And don't even tell me about Tyreek. That dude was drafted in like the fifth round. Don't even give me that. I'm talking about these first round hype guys that, well, this guy's different. This guy's different. And they're never different. And we just get so obsessed every single year with the fast guys, and they never show out. So I need to see it. I'm talking like top receiver, not just good. I'm not talking about highlights. Of course these guys are. MVS had highlights. Speed guys get highlights because they, they get the 40-yard touchdowns. I'm talking about consistency. I'm talking about game-to-game, down-to-down, reliable wide receiver target, ends up with a massive amount of yards, not just because of deep shots, but you know, crack 1,000 yards and, and 10 touchdowns and come back and talk to me. Uh, Jordan Davis with the Philadelphia Eagles is going to be a big one. There's a lot of talk about him. Um, I wasn't as big on him because his stats just weren't that good. Uh, everybody's super high on him because he's an athletic freak. And so the, the ceiling is high, but similar to Trayvon Walker, the stats aren't there. And he's, he's, he's built like a big nose tackle that's going to be good against the run. And that's all he really did in college. 
And so everyone's like, no, 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 he's not just a run defender, he's a pass rusher. Well, he has to prove that, though. He has to put that on film somewhere, and he hasn't done that yet. Uh, Kyle Hamilton, I, I really thought he looked good. I didn't watch a ton of him. Um, I'll, I'll grant you that there was a lot, you know, just based on my own metrics and everything that I put together, he wasn't breaking the, the scale, but I loved watching him. So that'll be real fun in Baltimore to see what he can do there. I think he's going to be good, but I have no idea. Um, Jahan, I just, I kind of wrote him off, but there's a lot of great news out of camp. Not that that means a ton, but we'll see. A lot of people were real interested in him. Um, Zion Johnson's an offensive guard, so I doubt anybody's going to care, but I'm personally going to want to keep an eye on that. Obviously, Traylon Burks. I mean, there's so many wide receivers that I'm, I'm, because again, you, you wrestle with it in your own mind. Like, I don't, I don't know. Part of me thinks this guy's going to blow up. Part of me thinks he's going to be a complete bust. And that was the issue with almost this entire wide receiver class. There's so much boomer bust in this class. It's not like just a across the board good receiver type. Even with Garrett Wilson, who kind of was seen as maybe the, oh, I forgot about Chris Olave also. Um, Olave and Wilson were kind of seen as like the safe guys, but also you've got a lot of issues with them. Garrett, you know, just size. Can you, can you beat these super tall, lanky, and by the way, super fast? Like you might have been super fast in college, but you get to the pros and you go up against an Eric Stokes, and it's like he's, he's bigger, he's stronger, and he's faster, so best of luck. But, I mean, you can, you can pretty much go down the line, and it, it, it'll, it'll be interesting, you know. Um, Trevor Penning, Tyler Smith, Tyler Lindebaum, Jermaine Johnson, uh, Devin Lloyd. Cole Strange. I mean, I'm not going to be massively tuned in, but I'm going to be interested and I'm going to want to kind of keep an eye on it. Uh, Wandale Robinson is another big one because Wandale was interesting because he wasn't super high on anybody's list, but I also went back and looked at it and I said, you know, if you crack 1,500 yards in the SEC, you're almost guaranteed to be a solid receiver in the pros. And that was primarily meant for um, Jamison Williams because of all those speed guys that I said don't really pan out, none of them did this. Jamison did. So that puts him in kind of a new category of like, well, maybe he can be that guy. But it turns out Wandale Robinson also cracked into that very exclusive club, 1,500 yards in the SEC. And right out of the gate, you're hearing all these great reports about Giants camp and Wandale Robinson. And I'm like, dang, I'm just saying, I told you there's something, something going on with that. Uh, Pickens is going to be real interesting to keep an eye on out in Pittsburgh. I was a huge Pickens fan. Alec Pierce, second round pick, but might even be more interesting to me. Sky Moore was a real big one for Kansas City. Uh, Trey McBride, the tight end. Alec Pierce in Indianapolis. And, and, and the desire to compare them to our guy, Christian Watson, is, of course, going to be there. They're not one-to-one comparisons. How, many, how much opportunities they get and all that, that's all going to factor in. But it's, you're not going to be able to get away from it. So, um, you know, the, the most important things, obviously, are how our guys do. And then probably keeping an eye on the NFC North guys. So Jameson's a big one. Aiden Hutchinson's a big one. Lewis Seen, Kyler Gordon, Andrew Booth, you know, the, the Josh Pascal, the pass rusher. These are the more important things, but it's more just casual for me. Casual observances, and I'll bring it up here and there. Usually when it just fits some kind of a narrative that I want to push, you know how it is with these biased podcasters. <laughs> Edward says, is this year's defense under more pressure to be great, or is it the offense or the special teams? That's a, that's a pretty good question. I mean, it wouldn't be a good question to ask the team or, or whatever, because they would obviously deflect this. This, this is a classic coach speak thing, but um, I don't want to give it a coach speak answer, although it's easy to do it with this question, because it's, it is interesting. 
I'm actually not going to say it's the defense because the way that I'm looking at it is if you don't meet expectations, if you underperform, who's going to get the most scrutiny? The defense probably won't because everybody kind of expects the Packers defense to be bad. There'll be a little like, ha, you guys thought you'd had a good defense. Stupid Packer fans never learn. And that'll be it. And I think that's true of special teams as well. If special teams isn't that good, it's just sort of a, eh, here we go again. But if the offense doesn't perform, having lost Devontae Adams, that will absolutely cause a firestorm. Packer fan, the, the Packer fan group community will implode in on itself. There will be massive riots and chaos and fights and brawls all over the place about it was stupid. This team is so stupid for not keeping Devontae. No, you're stupid. The media will absolutely lose their minds. They will pounce because they have been waiting to, to just finally close the coffin on the Packers. They've been dying for this moment. And I promise you, if the offense doesn't perform, the team will not perform. That's the other issue. The defense is not dragging anything. If Aaron Rodgers and this offense can't go, we're not getting to 13 wins. We're not getting to 12. We're not getting to 11. Hope I don't know if we're getting to 10. You need an offense. I'm sorry. That's just the way it goes. So, um, you know, you could answer that any kind of way, but that's the way I'm going to answer that because that that makes the most sense to me. That will be the biggest scandal if the offense does not perform up to par. Luke says, do players and coaches have to sign NDAs? When Mike Pettin went to Chicago as a consultant, can he give them information on Matt LaFleur's offensive strategies? Can Zadarius Smith give the Vikings intel on Packers schemes or what to look for? I don't actually know, but I've never heard of that. Um, and from my understanding, that's kind of the point a lot of times, especially with Vikings and, and Bears. They're constantly doing that. They're constantly poaching guys. And for quite a while, not maybe as much anymore, they would poach just really bottom-of-the-barrel guys because... We don't really care about the talent. We need the intel. Beyond that, if there was any kind of an NDA, if there was any kind of a legal recourse, um, you would have heard of scandals by now. You would have heard of the Packers many times talking to the league about, hey, come on, man, they, they keep doing this and they're doing that. Um, because you, you know, just like with the tampering and all that, you know that there's, because there's rules, there's going to be rule breaking. And when there's rule breaking, there's scandals and investigations. There's been none of that. So I'm assuming there's no rule about it. So yeah, I think you can just hire a guy like Mike Pettin and be like, all right, tell me everything about this defense. Although we changed the defense. So, you know, but they can, he can give info on, um, the players, I suppose. And obviously now we've got offensive pieces that have gone to the bears. So he can kind of get the defense over there up to speed on how the offense works, which they're going to do anyways, because it's now our offense. So you guys have to understand this and their defense is going to be practicing against our offense. But you know what? We also know their offense because he's just ripping off the guy that, that actually does it. So Matt LaFleur knows the offense better than anybody else because it's Matt LaFleur's offense. And really, if he's going to be any good at anything, he has to make it his own, right? If Getsy's going to like make himself a worthy offensive coordinator. You can't just say, all right, we're going to run everything the same way we did in Green Bay. You can't do that. You have to tailor your offense to Justin Fields and to your offensive line and to your wide receivers, tight ends, running backs. Like You have to take the concepts and say, how does this concept fit in Chicago? But yeah, I think that's just kind of the way it goes. And and there probably never will be a rule because there's no way you're going to be able to enforce that. And 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 how could you? Because the whole point of like game planning for the team is to gather intel. And so what? Mike Pettin has to like sit out. Like, sorry, man, you can't be a part of this because we have to kind of pretend we don't know, although we kind of do know and and we're going to be like spying on the team, but we can't ask you questions and you got to sit there and just bite your tongue. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it can't be enforced or executed in any way that would make any sense. 
Andy says, why are people against using starters on special teams? I understand the injury concern, but it's football and injuries happen everywhere. I think people are not considering the positive uh, enough. For example, didn't Tyreek Hill return kicks last season? Um, it is it is injuries. And, and the point is, this is one of those things where everybody is very, very pro using starters on special teams because the issue of the day is our special teams are trash. However, if your special teams aren't trash and you're not thinking about it and you lose a starter for the season on a freaking kickoff, you're probably going to be really, really upset about it. That's the point. Like, you get to the point, and I'm sure it vacillates, right? Our special teams are bad, so we're going to start using more starters. And then the special teams is going to get better. And then everything goes back to normal, and we're a, you know, moderately decent special teams unit. Um, I mean, even in your example, if Tyreek Hill got injured on a kickoff, do you know how angry Chiefs fans would be? Our season is over because of special teams? Are you kidding me? I don't care. I don't need to get out to the 30-yard line. Take a knee and get it to the 25-yard line is completely adequate because we have Tyreek Hill. We can drive down the field. Now, we don't have Tyreek Hill. So not only do we not get the special teams kickoff ability, not only do we not get to run it out anywhere, we don't have an offense anymore. So, you know, I, I mean, you can say injuries happen, but I don't think that, you know, adequately addresses the very real issue that you, you want to minimize injuries. I mean, injuries happen, but they're also a really awful thing, and it can ruin your entire season, and you want to minimize that. And one of the easiest ways to minimize the chance of injury for your superstars is to not put them on kickoffs. I mean, just don't put them on the field, period, unless you absolutely have to. But again, on the other side, as you pointed out, special teams isn't nothing. You can't just treat it like a lot of NFL teams, especially the Green Bay Packers, treat it, which is, I just don't care. Well, that's not good enough, and that'll ruin your season as well, as we've seen. So, you know, there, there really isn't a good balance. I think maybe the injuries on special teams things are are a bit overinflated in terms of, you know, as though if you play on special teams, you're going to get hurt. I very rarely see injuries on special teams. It's far more often on offense and defense, probably because there's just more plays, but it is very rare. But I think, I, I just think it's, we're so injury averse and we're so scared of losing players, especially starters, that you really just really start to freak out about it. So, you know, there there's a there's a balance and there is no good balance. The the best options are both put all your best players on special teams and don't put any of your best players on special teams and somehow you have to it's really a compromise. It's not finding a good blend because there is no good blend, it's a compromise. And then you just got to live with it. I mean, it's it's the exact same thing as should we play starters in the preseason. It's the exact same debate. I was on the it's not worth it train, and then we got absolutely blown out. It was one of the worst Packer games I've ever seen that week one. And what happened? Everybody that said starters should practice, should play in the preseason, lost their mind. Look what you idiots did. Now, I don't know if that's the reason. I don't know that if Aaron Rodgers threw five passes and Aaron Jones like ran a route that somehow we just win that game. That seems to be a stretch. But it certainly backed up everybody's fears that if you don't put them out there, we're going to lose. But again, can you imagine if we lost Aaron Rodgers, even for three, four, five weeks because of freaking preseason? What happens if Rashawn Gary tears his ACL in the preseason? I, I, I'm, I'm still, even if you told me 100% you're going to lose week one, but you'll, you'll figure it out by week two, I still think we skip the preseason if it's me. I don't want to lose. I've told you a thousand times. I really don't want to lose to the Vikings, but it's one game and we can clearly rebound. I mean, it happened last year and we won 13 games. We can figure it out by week two, three, four, five, six. I mean, it's a continual growing thing. It's not worth it to me to risk the entire season of losing players in the preseason, even though it's rare. They're not, it's, it's unlikely. 
I just, I don't want to take the chance. So the point is, I get it. I 100% understand the feeling of let's just not. But again, we got to do something. Special teams has to be better, and that does need to include better players. And the better players are obviously the ones that, I mean, let's just be honest, they're better players. So I, I, I'm just glad I'm not that guy. Because no matter, it's it's you're going to lose either way. With preseason, with special teams, it's a lose-lose, right? It's the same question of, you know, week 17 when you're already in the playoffs, do you play your starters? What Do you, do you want to give them two weeks off if you have a bye? And then you come out off a bye and some of these guys haven't played in two weeks and, and you lose, you're going to get crucified. But if you play your starters and they get hurt, you're going to get crucified. You can't win. So it's not a good situation to be in. I don't know the right answer. I can understand either side. And either way, you're going to get, you know, you're, you're wrong. So Douglas says, how good is Christian Watson? Is he Randy Moss or Jerry Rice? <laughs> I don't know. He says, just kidding. But I, uh, I do think he has an extremely good skill set. Yeah, I mean, I... The, the, honestly, it's 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 not the forty time. It's not any of the athleticism. It's the fact that the Packers liked him enough to trade up in the second round to get him. That's the biggest amount of confidence I have because none of that other stuff means anything. I mean, he's 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 MVS, and so what? But here's the thing: the Packers also drafted MVS. They didn't trade up in the second round for him. And so the Packers are telling you, no, this is not MVS. He's much better than MVS. That was was MVS back of the fifth round, I think. Like basically outside of the fifth round because it was compensatory pick territory. It was late, and it was after Jamon. Was it after Equinemius? I can't remember which one was first. I don't know. It might have even been sixth round. I'm pretty sure it was fifth, though. And, and I'm not saying the Packers are infallible, but it's just the fact that they look at him, and if they thought he was just an MVS, if they thought he was just a straight-line speed threat, he would have been in the fifth round. They took him. They traded two second-round picks to go get him. That's what they felt he was worth. That's the comfort I get. I couldn't care less if he ran a, a four five five or a four two five. I mean, it's nice and it's exciting, but in terms of my confidence, it means nothing. The confidence comes from the fact that the Packers took him a borderline first round, and they just genuinely don't do that. So again, they really like him, and they took him over the other guys: Alec Pierce, Sky Moore, George Pickens, if he was even on their on their radar. So that's what I'm going to kind of rest in. That's, that's, that's going to be my solace. Jason says, uh, whether it be in favor of the position or negative, what coaching changes do you see having the biggest impact on the team this year? Everyone seems to agree special teams got a much-needed upgrade, but is there any other player groups or changes we should be keeping an eye on moving into the preseason? Not so much. A lot of people are probably going to make a big deal about losing, again, the offensive pieces. Two guys, to be specific, we lost our offensive coordinator, and our, uh, I believe, quarterback coach who went to the Bears to be his offensive coordinator. No, I don't think so. Um, I'm not saying that the guys that we had didn't do anything, but the offensive coordinator that came here did a did a, a fine job for sure, but he came from an environment where the guy was never really good at very much, right? Jacksonville and all that stuff. And I know this is a, it's so impossible to judge coaches because they go one place and they don't do anything, and then they go somewhere else and they succeed. And Matt Lafleur felt the need to pick him for some reason, so he's he's very good at a lot of things. But it's not like we got this ringer who's just dominating and everybody's great wherever he goes. That's not the way it was. He came over here and they run Matt Lafleur's offense, and Matt Lafleur's offense succeeds, and and you know that's not going to change. So I don't really see that as a a a big deal. It's still the same offense, and it's just different guys executing different jobs, but it's the same it's the same thing. Um, and then defensively, no, I don't, I don't really see too much. I mean, it, 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 the obvious answer is special teams. And, and maybe he's a little bit of an overinflated 
talent. Um, again, everybody kind of treated him as though this is the ultimate like special teams ringer, special teams coach. But it's like his his special teams units have been pretty mediocre over the last several years. But again, I I really just think it comes down to he. There's nobody in the NFL that understands special teams as well as him. And we need that. We just need a guy that you know. Matt Lafleur is like, I don't want to have to do anything. I don't want to have to interject. I don't want to have to call timeouts because I'm noticing issues on the field that my special teams coordinator, you know, isn't picking up on. Like, hey, dude, we don't have enough guys out there. Timeout. Excuse me, sir. What the heck? You know, it's little stuff like that. Just don't make me even think about special teams as the head coach. Okay? Can you can you be the head coach of special teams? This guy above anybody else can be. And so that you know that that is the obvious answer. <laughs> Final question. Drew says, if you had to build a team to try to win the NFC North this year, and you had to draft four players from Detroit on offense and defense, three from Chicago, two from Minnesota, one from Green Bay, one from the NFL draft, which players would you pick? And do you think your team would be able to win the NFC North? Well, the one from Green Bay is Aaron Rodgers. That's that's done, right? I, I, I'm not even going to mess with that. You can maybe say, we'll, we'll try to ride it out with Kirk Cousins, but I'm probably not doing that. Um... Two from Minnesota. I'm tempted to just take both wide receivers. Um, where am I getting my offensive line from? It's the thing. It's not enough players to to field a team, so I'm not exactly... Am I starting with the Packers roster, but then how am I picking one from Green Bay? Are we doing like a seven-on-seven? Seven? You're giving me 11 guys here to play with. Um, I don't know. I'll just, I'll just pick some guys, I guess. Um, Justin Jefferson, 100% from Minnesota. I'm getting four from Detroit, so I guess give me Amon Ra. So I got my wide receivers. I don't want to pick three from Chicago. I don't. I don't like three from Chicago. Maybe I should start with Chicago because I don't. I don't have any idea what to do here. It's like what Quinn and Mooney and Montgomery. I guess I don't think I want any of them. But if I have to pick three, I might take those three. And then Detroit, I'll probably just take their offensive line: <laughs> Sewell, Decker, Ragnall, and Saint Brown. And then Minnesota, I'll do Daniil and Justin Jefferson. So I've got Quinn and Hunter as my pass rushers. I've got Jefferson and Mooney as my wide receivers. And then Rodgers for the Packers. Montgomery is my running back. Three offensive linemen from Detroit. And I guess that's, is that good enough to win? I don't know. Depends on, <laughs> depends on my guards, my tight ends, my other wide receivers, my defensive tackles, my linebackers, my corners, and my safeties, which I don't have. Um, so it's hard to say. But, I mean, it's, it's, those guys are good for the most part. So I don't know. Oh, and a, I got to draft somebody. Um, well, I, I've got my pass rusher, so I'm not taking Hutchinson. I've got my wide receivers, my quarterback, my running back. I don't want a guard would be boring. I could take a corner. That's probably what I want to do. Give me Sauce Gardner, I guess. Call it a day. So, Anyways, that's it for me. You folks have yourselves a wonderful day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase get ten dollars off your first purchase with code welcome 10 at caskers.com